Hello and welcome to the Friends Romans Iowans podcast. We are a young adult podcast produced by the Diocese of Des Moines and Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm your host, Alex Kautsky. And I'm your host, Maddie Maher. Welcome back to the Friends Romans Iowans podcast, which is dedicated to hosting tabletop conversations with Catholics around the diocese. Today, we would like to welcome Adam Story to our show. Adam is the Director of Marriage and Family and Vice Chancellor at the Diocese of Des Moines. Adam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what exactly is the Vice Chancellor of Des Moines? Uh, it is the making official the title of other duties as assigned. So, you know, <laughs> you know, marriage and family is is pretty clear scope yeah. of what that is. But Vice Chancellor, if you add that title... Uh, you know, I can do anything. I can clean the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. I can take out the trash. I can, you know, whatever you need to do. So at what point in March did you realize you were about to become the COVID guru of the Diocese of Des Moines then? Yeah, that was very fine print in the agreement <laughs> of Vice Chancellor. Yeah, that was very small. It was in there. Uh, you, that you got to read things before you sign them, you yeah, know. So. Like that, if there's going to be a global pandemic, obviously. Yeah, you'll that be the falls one to that. the vice chancellor. That's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's canonical. I think it's in canon law somewhere, but yeah, it just happens. Have they given you an official seal that says vice chancellor? Or no, you know, just takes your word for it. I saw the man for all seasons, and I thought I'd get a big medallion, but. I'm waiting on it. So. Instead, you just grow a mustache. Instead, I grow a mustache. <laughs> that's that's the symbol of authority. I think that our culture should really embrace uh, entirely. Yeah, truly though, when you see it, you know this guy. This guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> this guy knows what he's doing. No one fights back when they see the mustache. That's good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Um. So you gave us a little bit of homework for this podcast discussion. Um. You had us read. Some of Amoris Laetitiae by Pope Francis. I'm saying that correctly. Mm -hmm. Amoris Laetitia. Yeah. Laetitia. Or a, maybe, Laetitia. I think you're doing the Italian version, but well, yeah. You know, see, my six years of Latin that I use all the time <laughs> helps me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so fluent in Italian that it just <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. soaked in. Um, and then you had us read The Defense of Rash Vows by G.K. Chesterton. Um, and for those people who haven't read either of those, would you mind kind of given a quick summary of what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, Amoris Laetitia is Pope Francis's uh, exhortation that came after two synods on the family, and it's, you know, uh, a theology or perspective on, on marriage, mm -hmm. on love, on family life, uh, and there's a lot of richness within it, but um, a defense of rash vows, this was an essay that G.K. Chesterton wrote, uh, kind of responding to um, a cultural trend that existed even in his day, but I think is even more accented today. This idea that like, um, you know, which you see sometimes an idea of, well, I need to keep my options open or I need to uh, make sure that for any commitment I make, there's an escape route, there's an exit strategy. And, you know, we have this kind of perception today, but it existed even, even uh, you know, in the early 20th century when he was writing. And a defense of rash vows is kind of his, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek, but his response to that to say, you know what, uh, making vows, committing to something, uh, even committing to radical, dramatic things, but then standing by that commitment, why that's such a rational thing, such mm -hmm. a, a beautiful thing that actually helps us to live our lives more fully. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about this topic for a number of reasons, but one of it, so I got married really young at 22, which I think culture would 
saying yeah. it's insane at this point. But I I think uh, even then when you're we were like puppy love, I, there was still this fear of the culture is telling me that if I get married, there's so much that I'm sacrificing, but none of which is highlighting the good of it. And I think we're all masochists in this society, and so we're on Instagram as young women. And <laughs> I think I look at these people and I think, okay, so freedom is the ability to hop on my jet and vacation whenever I want to, and I have to actively remind myself, like, it's okay that love requires. So that's a roundabout way of saying, I think, to frame this conversation, what I need is a definition of freedom. And th- I know that a, to be free doesn't mean that you get to go on vacation all the time, but... I do think that's what Instagram tells me. So what would you define as freedom? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And this, just to go back a little bit, because you mentioned Morris Letizia, Pope Francis, his statement about this that I think is beautiful and succinct, where he says that the permanence of marriage is not a yoke imposed on on couples, but it's a gift from Christ. Uh, The permanence of marriage is not a yoke, but it's a gift. And it is a gift because of this understanding of freedom. So freedom is uh, the ability, the capacity to become most fully who you're created to be, you know, beyond just license, beyond just uh, a bunch of choices before you and you can move in any direction. You're really free if you're able to achieve, able to become what you've been made for, you know, like. Um, my wife is free to play the piano because she's practiced her whole life. She's learned how to do it. She's, uh, she can sit down at a piano and she can just play, and it's beautiful uh, because she can actualize that potential in her life. Uh, I have the potential, but I can't actualize it because I've never played the piano. I'm no good at it. I did as a kid, but besides the point, you know, I'm not any good at it, right? So I'm not free to do that. And you know, this is true in different areas of our life, but fundamentally about life itself, freedom is that ability, sort of the ability to actualize your potential, the ability to become what you are made to be. Uh, that's what it means to really be free. So I think what we have then is a um, disconnect between what the culture sees as freedom and what we should view as freedom as people, you know, going for the greater good of God. Is that, would you say that? Yeah, I, I think there is a disconnect. And I think it's, um, you know, we we tend to settle for less than what we were made for. You know, lots mm-hmm. of people describe our culture in different ways. You know, uh, uh, we're tremendously wicked or ego, egotistical or uh, self-absorbed or whatever you want to describe it. But I would say, uh, you know, kind of if I were just, to describe the general culture, it's it's sort of boring. You know, mm-hmm. it's numb. It's not so much that we're particularly bad or particularly good. It's that we're we're almost spectators of life, but not active members of life. You know, we're mm-hmm. watching things happen. Uh, we're not being active. We're not actuating our potentiality, uh, and we miss out because of that. It's boring. Yeah, I think when I. I don't. I don't know if I because you said that it's not wicked, it's not bad, and I have. I think I. It might. I feel like it's vapid, and like it's just it's gone in the wind. And that in a hundred years, are they going to talk about the greatness that we were called to? And I, I love that idea of called to greatness. And I think that that's what Chesterton is talking about here. Is there's there's a call to greatness in laying down your life and committing yourself to someone. But I. 
I it's funny because I I find myself I was a theology major at Benedictine like I know this and I have a very fulfilling marriage but I think that I don't know how you introduce that to the culture or I I don't even know how you would have that conversation with someone who's not Catholic who doesn't understand this framework that love isn't the commitment isn't a yoke yeah I you know and I I do think that there's little seeds of this truth that we still recognize. And that's that's the beauty of truth is that, uh, you know, when the music is in the right key, when it's in harmony with what's in our heart, we just recognize it. We see it to be true. Um, so, like, I think St. Augustine has a saying about, you know, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just need to let it out of its cage. Mm-hmm. And we see seeds of this. And an example, because... I watch more television than is healthy for a human person. Uh, But there's a show, I think, on Amazon. It's called The Great Adventure Race or something. And it's about these people who do uh, these very extreme races. And they do this race. And when they talk about it, they say, well, I want to push my limits. I want to see how far I can go. I want to see what I'm capable of. And that's a little harmony with what we're called to. We're not called to just get by. You know, it's a lot easier for me to sit on the couch and watch the show eating potato chips. Mm -hmm. But I am attracted to that sort of like, you know, push our limits. Let's see what we're capable of. Let's see how far we can go. And we see that sometimes in sports. We see that in, in, you know, the way people approach their employment sometimes. We see that in different ways. Uh, the Christian invitation is become a saint, you know? Uh, It doesn't matter if you can run 100 miles at a time. It does matter uh, if you share in the life of Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that matter. I I see that, that people want to be great, that they want to have a story that people talk about years from now, to have done something great. So I see that. I just, um, and maybe this is, is getting ahead of myself, but how would you describe that specifically in marriage when I think that culture does look at you and say you've given up so much? How would you describe that as in the, within the context of marriage being very free? Yeah, well, um, you know, marriage marriage is built on this foundation of I'm going to make a self-gift to this other person. I'm going to give my life away. Uh, and that's that's a profound risk because when I give my life away, it's no longer my own. You know, I've given that to someone else. And that's a risk. That's a commitment uh, that has weight. But I would say that uh, you can't have adventure in life if you don't have risk. And you can't really have risk if you don't have consequences, you know. So the risk I took is I bound my life to my wife, Kara. Uh And that might go well and it might not go well. I hope that it does go well. Uh, But there's consequences to that binding of myself uh, to my wife. But through that risk, uh, through that commitment, um, there's joy, there's freedom. And And it is sort of, and Chesterton makes this comment in defense of rash vows. He says, sometimes there's, there's a joy that can only be known when you've actually like made the commitment. There's a joy that can only be known when you've actually taken the plunge. Um, and I'm, I've only been married for 10 years. I'm still kind of a newbie in this. But I've seen and I've tasted the freedom and the joy that comes from that commitment that you can't find other places, mm-hmm. you know, that I never found in any other place in my life. And that's a gift. So 
I know that there is that freedom in, you know, making that commitment, but there's also a part of the risk is a fear that's kind of been backed up by seeing other people make really bad commitments and then failing completely. I mean, the divorce rate is insane right now. And so you look at it and you're like, well, they made a poor commitment. And so if I make a commitment and it happens to be poor, I will have lots of pain. And so it's kind of hard to sometimes judge where the risk and reward, you know, comes in. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a really good point. And, and you have to make, uh, you know, properly discerned commitment. Yeah. You know, uh, this is maybe the exaggeration that comes from Chesterton's defensive rash vows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to think through things and, and to be properly prepared. And in order to make a full commitment, you have to be free to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, in specifically the context of marriage, uh, the church has an understanding of this and has this approach that I think is really human and also really merciful, uh, that sometimes people, you know, might want to make the commitment, they might desire the commitment, they might just not really understand or be free to make that commitment. Mm -hmm. And in marriage specifically, we would call that an annulment, which isn't avoided commitment. It's the fact that something was absent at the beginning that that kept the sacrament from Mm -hmm. taking place. Uh, So we do have that understanding uh, and I think that mercy and that just really human approach. But we also, we respect people enough to say that you are capable of taking the plunge. You know, you are capable of making those commitments. And with any risk, uh, sometimes it doesn't, in this life, it doesn't work out as what's best for us. You know, sometimes in this life, there is suffering. Uh, and that's why we, we hope for the next life. You know, this is the pilgrimage. Uh, the next life is the destination. Mm-hmm. So I see, I love this topic of dis- discernment, um, but I see kind of like two sides of this. I think that when it comes to commitment, our culture, in a way, like you said, you see seeds of uh, being called to something more if you want to do something great. But I think there's a seed of people taking vows and commitment seriously, but on the flip side, just not getting married because of that. And so I, I think people are just hesitating to take the plunge because they take it seriously. But I also see on the other side, at least when I was in college, when I would talk to people who were um, seriously discerning, in my head, I translated that to stalling. Have you seen people <laughs> use discernment as a cop-out <laughs> where they're just <laughs> – I'll just leave it at that. That's what yeah. I saw. That's what I always translated it yeah. to. Yeah, no, I think that that's true. And I think that, you know, we are, we tend to be a non-committal age. You know, we grow up in a culture that's not keen on commitment. And part of that is for very legitimate reasons, because we've been wounded. You know, we've seen in our culture uh, the devastation of bad choices, you know. And I I think that does kind of cultivate, that cultivates a sort of, caution in people that maybe sometimes goes too far. But this is, every virtue is found someplace in the middle. You know, courage is is the balance between rashness and cowardiceness, right? Um, uh, generosity is the, the balance between, you know, stinginess and just like blowing everything, right? So with discernment too, there is a virtue in the middle. I mean, I think, I think our culture tends definitely towards 
overly cautious. Mm -hmm. You know, we're overly cautious. And there were times where we were tempted towards rashness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we got to find that balance. And uh, I think everybody needs to look into their own heart and say, you know, is is whatever's holding me back? Is this a real thing or is it not? You know? Yeah, I think commitment has become more of a scary word and discernment is a way of, you know, getting out of it. You're like, well, I'm just going to pray on it and discern it for a little bit and I don't have to make a decision until God has told me what to well, do. Or, or thinking at some point, though, you're gonna, God's going to give you the assurance that it's going to work out and the reality is that's never going to be the case. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I've got some strong feelings about discernment in general, but I think I think sometimes we approach discernment with an attitude that's very like kind of fear based, mm-hmm. like yeah. Uh, yeah, like door number one. If I choose the right thing, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be blissful. I'm never going to have another problem. Mm-hmm. If I choose the wrong door, I'm going to be miserable for the mm-hmm. rest of my life. And that's just not how a loving father treats their children. You know, like yeah. I th- the the image that I always use is with my kids in the morning. You know, I say, "All right, Gabriel." It's breakfast time. You can have eggs, you can have oatmeal, or you can have a bagel. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's going to choose, and any of these are good for him. I'm not going to, like, get him up and say, all right, Gabriel, you can have eggs, you can have motor oil, or you can have arsenic. Like, choose wisely, <laughs> you know, and one is happiness and the other are death, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how the Lord treats us, right? Yeah. So there's there's freedom even for us to be like, well, this is my preference, you know, this is what I desire, and we're not we're not going to be trapped by by real discernment. I do think that's something, especially when I was in college trying to figure out my next step. That I did think that that I could just royally make the wrong decision and that that was it for my life. But just knowing that like God's going to work with me was something that was a bit of a revelation to me, which is probably embarrassing. But no, no, I think that's true. I mean, you have to. Yeah, it, it's all about getting over the mindset that if you wake up and have the wrong thing for breakfast, your day is going to be ruined and you will be miserable for the rest of your life. Like that's not the way it is. If you have the wrong thing for breakfast, you just have make a better choice at lunch and then your day will get better and you can move on. Yeah. And God's even going to work with the ways that you screw stuff up. You know, the ways where you're like, man, I really exercised bad judgment on that one or man, um, you know, this was, the result of a sinful habit that I had or something like that. I mean, uh, St. Paul says the Lord turns to good all things for those who love him. And do we trust him in that? Do we trust that even even when I do make mistakes, even when I do, you know, stray from the, pra- from the path, the Lord can use those things and draw me back into his will, draw me back into fulfillment, uh, can continue to shower his grace on me. I'm just curious, as we're having this conversation, I know that you work with so many young couples who are on the verge of getting married. Do you see this with the people that you're working with, where they're afraid that, you know, that that a month down the line or five years down the line or seven years, that when the commitment is no longer emotionally pleasing, that this is going to be something that they regret? Do you see that? Man, that's it. Uh... That's a good question. I would say I usually don't see that because usually when I'm meeting with couples, you know, they're convinced that that love is never going to fade. You know, that desire for each other is never going to fade. But where I do kind of see it, kind of talking about the wounds of our culture, I I definitely see couples who 
have kind of a tentativeness where they say, hey, you know, we've got it. We love each other. We're passionate about mm-hmm. each other. This isn't going away. Uh, and yet I saw that in my own home where it did go away, you know, or I saw it in my own home where it did break down. And, you know, they might not associate it with their particular relationship, but there is almost like, you know, it's almost like they feel like, well, it's just a lottery. Like we just take a shot and it works for some and it doesn't for others. Well, I, in the age of chick flicks and all of that, (laughs) I, I see it as this concept of the one that you find the one and it works out or maybe you chose and it wasn't the one and Mm -hmm. like it wasn't meant to be. So (laughs) is the concept of the one (laughs) a thing to you or how does, where does that fit into? I reject that concept (laughs) categorically. Uh, I'm going on record. (laughs) I'm going on record to say now I do think, I do think that God calls us to particular things, you know, and I think he acts in our lives in such a way that uh, when my wife, when my wife and I were discerning marriage, you know, I think he was actively, Adam, I want you to marry Kara, you know, and then Kara, uh, Kara, please just accept it, you know, marry this guy, Adam, okay. <laughs> like, go for it. Uh, uh, take the risk, sounds like Kara. you do believe in the one that. Well, I think he, <laughs> no, he, he acts in particular ways, but I don't think that like, you know, I mean, obviously God has foreknowledge, but, and we're not, you know, we don't have to dive into that, but he doesn't like scope out our life without our say and tell us, you know, again, door number one, everything's going to work out. Door number two, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, there is freedom within that, you know? So there was a moment of discernment where he's like, yeah, go for it. But he wasn't like, when I was in second grade, he wasn't saying, all right, I got to get Adam to, you know, get a bloody lip so he'll go home so that then he'll marry Kara yeah. someday. That's yeah. not true. Okay. okay. So I appreciate that. With that, I mean, with the commitment and the vow, going back to um, the defense of rash vows, what is, what is it about a vow that makes it so binding? Because you could just say, I'm going to do this and you do it, but there's something about making a promise or like a wedding vow that makes it feel more binding than just saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the, um, it's the permanence of it or the, the consequence of it, you know, like to say, um, when you've bound yourself in a certain way, uh, there's no getting out, you know, and I don't know if it's in this essay, but Je- Chesterton talking about it's the nature of love to bind itself. This is what love wants to do. Uh, and the example that I think of is always like if you ever see on a park bench or a picnic table where, you know, kids will cut their uh, cut a heart and then their initials into the park wow. bench like A.S. plus uh, K.K. Karakutzer equals heart you know Mm -hmm. you write that in a bench and you carve it in because you want it to be permanent Mm -hmm. you know love wants to be permanent it wants to have a monument that's not going anywhere right marriage is that monument but in order for it to be truly permanent it has to be permanent right Right. uh it can't be um conditional right so that's what makes and that's what makes the vow uh, empowering because it allows our heart to do the very thing that our heart wants to do. I 
sorry. Uh, do you think like the the concept of the vow has kind of waned a little bit though because you have so many people who make promises and vows and then break them um so does it is it just more of a spiritual weight or is there a cultural weight behind it yeah well that you know definitely our culture has changed in this regard it yeah. used to be it used to be the case that you know on a human level we understood this to be true and humanly we defended it humanly we stood up for it uh and certainly at least you know in the united states today that's not the case mm-hmm. um but that th- those human impulses were always you know nature that was was pointing to a grace that was a real grace and we've lost those kind of cultural supports which is sad it's devastating i wish we had them you know but the spiritual truth remains right so so the vow is still possible and praise be to god the church is is one place where you can still find that yeah. where we still have this understanding that marriage truly is a permanent thing so what a gift we have so tell me if i i think of it in a really unromantic practical way but i was as i was prepping for this and talking to you i was thinking about it um when i went into marriage prep someone asked me what i thought the purpose of a vow was and i said that because at some point if not but for the vows you wouldn't stay there but now that i've been married i i think of it as a aaron and i invest in our relationship day to day because we know that we don't because it's going to last and so because of the vow we make a day-to-day investment does that make sense it's really practical but yeah i don't know that we would do that if it wasn't for the fact that we don't want to get to a point where the vow is the only thing keeping us there yeah because we know we're already here and we've made yep. those vows yep well i i mean i do think both of those things are true you know um you you are more invested when you know that this is this is mine permanently. It's not going anywhere, you know. Um, and so, you know, hopefully you do tend to the relationship, you know, more intentionally because you know that, that that's where you've been planted. Mm-hmm. But I also do think it's true, uh, and I do think it comes up, you know, some sometimes – more uh, forcefully than other times where it is, um, you know, there's not a lot of emotional things keeping me here right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, this is it, you know, mm-hmm. this is the commitment that I've made. Um, and there's, there's a researcher, uh, a social scientist, his name's Scott Stanley, he's out of Denver. And he talks a lot about this, about all the different Um, things that create what he calls inertia and constraint. And, you know, we usually chafe under inertia and constraint. But he says those are actually really good things because they keep you rooted when the going gets tough, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we're talking about, like, in, sorry, in Chesterton's The Rash Vows, he's saying that it's better to make a bold statement kind of than do nothing. Is that correct? That's kind of like... Yeah. What he would say. Yeah. Saying. Mm-hmm. So he makes a comparison of this man who ties a chain around two mountains. Mm-hmm. But isn't that just a silly thing to do? I mean, yes, it's a bold statement or like, you know, the gallon challenge where you're like, I will drink this gallon of milk and I will puke afterwards, but I'm going to do it. That's 
kind of a dumb thing to do. Super memorable, though. Very I memorable, but yeah, lots of YouTube videos would yeah. disagree with you. <laughs> so yeah, well, okay. you it, gets the, it gets there. the clicks. Yeah. I get yeah, it. That's but right. also, it's it's not a wise thing to do. So isn't it better to say, I will not make this bold claim and I will not puke? Yeah, you know. And make a bold claim and puke. I mean, maybe I'm a fan of bad decisions, but I don't have as much of a problem with it. But I think I think the point, which I think is true, is, um, you know, life is a beautiful adventure. Mm-hmm. And so are we going to sit on the sidelines or are we going to participate? You know, are we going to sit on the sidelines or are we going to participate? And of course, when you're making decisions, decisions of consequence of any kind, whether they're really big like marriage or whether it's, you know, piddly things about, uh, you know, where am I going to go this Friday night or whatever it is, we make choices and those choices like have fallout. They have consequence. And whenever you're making decisions, you're it's going to be a mixed bag. There's mm-hmm. going to be some that are good and there's going to be some that are bad. We hope for more good decisions than bad decisions. So I think what Chesterton would say, which I agree with, is he's like, make choices, you know, make choices. And some of them won't be great. Okay, some of them, you know, in hindsight, you'll say, man, I messed that up. But now you're in the game, you know, arena. Yeah, you're in the arena. And that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, we tend to approach life as spectators, uh, which isn't freeing. It's boring, you know. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. It just, it is very countercultural. I was watching this, um, it's an ODB film, Sister Josephine, and she was talking about the idea of, and it was all about discernment, and I was, I wanted to know if she thought it was a stall tactic too. She did not. <laughs> uh, and she did. <laughs> but she said this idea of when the manna came down that it, he provided in the, it was a day. They had enough to last the day, but today I would like my like five week manna or my five year manna. But she presented this idea of that the Lord lives in the eternal now and that we just have to trust that he provided for me today. He's going to provide for my marriage tomorrow and he's going to provide for my marriage after that. And so it's a, it's a, we just keep coming back to this idea that it's a, it's a risk, but it's also a trust thing where I trust that the Lord blesses us today and he's going to bless it tomorrow. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, maybe another way to kind of approach that or to think about that is what ultimately do I rely on? You know, where ultimately am I trying to find my security? You know, and as, as a married man with young kids, a constant temptation for me I, you know, I provide for my family. I try to have a roof over our head, food on the table, things like that. But it's a constant temptation. You know, what am I relying on? Am I relying on my savings account or am I relying on the Lord? Am I relying on my 401k or am I relying on, on the Lord? And I think, you know, you, this can translate into discernment. Am I, am I relying on my perfect judgment, which we don't have? Or am I relying on, you know, as long as I do basically the right things, uh, and Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take the plunge. Um, you know, where do we seek our security? And we, we seek our security in, in money and in pleasure and, in, in, uh, you know, distraction and all these different ways. But the only thing that is ultimately reliable is Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. you know? So until we lean on him, we don't get to experience that until we lean on him. We don't realize how reliable he is. 
Mm-hmm. And then I think there's so much, I, and maybe I haven't mentioned this, or maybe we have, but there's so much joy in taking that risk. Mm-hmm. I think that people look at young married people as like, what did you just do? But that they're like, there's so much fun to be had in in living a life of commitment and risk and adventure. And I, I don't want to end this without saying that. <laughs> well, um, and I would like to, so you, you meet with people about to get married a lot. Yeah. That's one of the things you do. But what about the people who can't find opportunities to commit to? Yeah. You know, they, they feel like they're just going through the motions and there's none of those risks are presenting themselves. Like how do they go about life seeking a life of commitment with nothing to commit to? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the way you framed it is really important where, you know, how can I make commitment if there's nothing to commit to? And and you're right, you can't, right? So what you do have to look look to Sometimes maybe we we think about commitment in the abstract as like a faraway thing, something that's going to happen at one point or another. But every day, all of us have concrete commitments that we're invited to. You know, it it might not be, you know, your state of life vocation, like, am I called to marry this particular person or am I called to join this particular religious community? Uh, but there are commitments that we're invited to every day in the sense of, you know, uh, friendship is a beautiful and a powerful commitment. You know, and when you talk about friendship, uh, you're saying, hey, I'm I'm sacrificing for you. I'm putting myself out there for you. And there's moments every day that that commitment can be tested. You know, that commitment can be lived uh, in professional work and service that we give. Every day there's concrete commitments that we can make. There's a decision we can make to either be active in life or to be on the sidelines. Uh, and instead of, you know, worried about far-off commitments, I'd say what are the commitments that are presented today that I can either say yes or no to? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one, one last thing about this article from Chesterton. It felt like he wrote this today. Like why – have we just never been able to commit as a society like, or was there a breaking point where we just decided, Nope, we're not going to do this anymore. And we're going to live by the seat of our pants or. Yeah. Well, the, you know, I think that one of the things that you can see in Chesterton and you see in different places, a lot of people, you know, who think about these things say, well, the culture went off the deep end in 1968, you know, and everything prior was beautiful and everything after is terrible. Uh, cultural trends don't happen in 40 years, you know, or 50 years or something. And so a lot of the things that we're wrestling with today have their roots and things that were going on in the 1800s, you know, um, and it's all a mixed bag. So, yeah, I think, I think Chesterton, you know, writing in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the things that he writes are absolutely relevant for us today interesting i was talking to my sister about this last night because she just got done reading the abolition of man um by c.s lewis Mm -hmm. and it kind of has the same tones to it you know of just our culture is depleted and dying and we're turning into something we can't even recognize um and i was just saying i'm like i just i think that it's always been this way and so Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's some a good thing or a bad thing of saying like well we're we haven't gotten worse but we're not getting better yeah. but at least we're trying 
Yeah, you know, I think another thing that you see in history is every every age has its own struggles and its mm-hmm. own crosses, and it's easy for us to be like, you know, oh, the sky is falling, things are terrible, everything's, you know, Especially just coming right off now, the rails. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say that right now, but every generation yeah. has been able to say that in one way or another. Yeah. You know, um, the problems that we face today, you know, have their own tenor, but they're not new. You know, every generation has had problems. So, uh, you know, but it's our job and we ought to be filled with hope and, and excitement and peace and say, you know, it's my job to participate in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Like, mm-hmm. this is my job. So let's do it, you know? Yeah. So any final words you would like to say to the young people of the Diocese of Des Moines before we kick you out of here? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Get married? I don't know. Like, can I just say that? As the director of marriage and family just, life, you support just pick marriage, someone. Then? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I do. Someone and go settle out there. No, no. No. I do. I do want to say, you know, uh, this is an exciting year for our diocese because Father Parker is going to have five guys get ordained, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to have about 400 couples get married. So I am no destroying him Absolutely. in the vocation battle. So I'm no dominating. Kidding. So bring your A game, Father Parker. Wow, call it through. Oh, man, 400 to 5, that is quite the... He's going to have to grow his own mustache after that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'd like to see him try. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Adam. We really appreciate this. This was, this was an awesome, awesome discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. a lot of fun. Um, we would love to have you all join into the conversation for our podcast in the future. So if you have any topics you would like us to address, guests you would love to hear from, or general questions and ideas, please email friendsromansiowans at gmail.com. Also, if you could subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play and leave us a review, we would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.